Good day, nerds. Sean Moriarty here. We wanted to make a correction for our last episode. Eric misspoke and said that 11 million Jews were killed during the Holocaust when the numbers were actually closer to 6 million. We in no way want to downplay the loss of life as this was still two-thirds of the Jewish population in Europe. But as nerds, we need to do our best to make our historical information accurate. Now that that's handled, on with the podcast. Guys, um, I want to talk to you about something, if that's okay. Oh, God. What happened? Uh, Matt, thanks for being here again. Um, I. What did the doctor say? Oh, oh, that's fine. Those are coming next week. But the. Um, I don't think we should do the episode this week with Eric. Why? We can't We can't leave Eric out. Why? What's wrong? Oh, well, the thing is, I don't think this is the Eric you want to see. Um, so here's the thing. Like, I've been trying to keep it on the DL, but w- between last episode and this one, Eric had to go back inside and Martha needed to have him fix a light bulb that had broken. And he was up on a chair trying to fix it. And then, you know, suddenly without warning that he lost his balance and he, and he fell and hit his head. Oh, my God. Is he okay? Well, define okay. I mean, he he's physically unharmed, but I mean, mentally he Just he, spit thinks it out. he thinks he's con from Star Trek con. now. Con Union Singh. Yes, like into darkness con, like, or like the wrath of. of. Oh, the, yes. Oh God. Yeah. Is he walking around with an exposed chest? Oh yes. Like, oh God. He is, and he's been doing lots and lots of push-ups. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, do, oh God. That's why I was warning. Uh, Hey, buddy. How's it going, Eric? What are you talking about? Who is this Eric? Are we ready to record today? You You still want to record record still? I am Kanunian Singh. I record when I want. You will do this. I'm just, I'm not so Are you prepared for the topic of eugenics? I invented eugenics. Well, not really, but I did more with it than other people. I ruled one quarter of the earth from 1992 to 1996. Well, your chest looks wonderful. Well, thank you. I've been doing lots of push-ups. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Eric Brickmont. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I'm Sarah Ashley. Welcome back. And, and welcome co- back to co- Matt. Matt Lucier. Yes, our guest from the last episode. Lucier, not Lucer. <laughs> not Lucier. Lucier. That is correct. Lucier, French. Lucier. With, the, with the fantastic uh, hard drives that you can buy. Oh, the, oh, the Lossiers. The Lossiers. Yeah. <laughs> or the, or the lovely drink that you can buy in an Indian restaurant. The Lassi. Uh, Amango Lassi, yes. 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 Oh, I'm Mango so Lassies. glad to be back. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! Well, we are going to continue with our awesome topic from last time. I wouldn't necessarily call it an awesome <laughs> I, topic. I mean... It's definitely a, it's, it's uh, interesting. a thought-provoking topic. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Extremely thought-provoking. And equally disturbing. Ethically challenging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um I meant I not awesome as in like awesome, but awesome as in like. If, if you like a topic uh, that strike, I don't know. If I'm you like a topic, Sarah, just, just you know what? It. We can't even see your <laughs> head at this point. You you've you've dug yourself that deep. So yeah. If just, just it, if you like a topic that makes you uh, test your gag reflex, that's that's what we're continuing on uh, this week. Uh, we're continuing our discussion of you, the history of eugenics. So we, we ended last episode in the the 
20s and 30s, uh, particularly with the Supreme Court decision of Buck v. Bell, which was one that in, uh, legally kind of reinforced the idea of sterilization um, uh, as, as it pertains to the United States. So, uh, and, we were, and Matt was talking about how to this day that still has not been overturned, even though there have been laws that have been passed to make it more difficult to, to do that. Um, so we, we really want to take it to the next step in this and to see really what was not just going on in the United States, but what was going on in Europe as well with this, the idea of race, science, and eugenics in, in general. Yeah, absolutely. And I think before we get to Europe, we should probably just address a few more things uh, about what was going on with eugenics, specifically in California. Um, California really had a little bit of a different take about the eugenics program than most of the other states uh, in in the U.S., where a lot of it honestly was actually targeted uh, to, towards women, really. Um, and as well as the state, uh, California thought of it as more of a cost-saving measure, something where if you're getting all of these children that are going to end up destitute, and then you have to have that planned into the welfare system of the state, uh, that's actually one of the primary reasons that California actually really took that eugenics mantle. And women themselves were actually the majority of the individuals sterilized through any of the programs. Uh, at the very beginning of the sterilization process, about 1921-ish, at that point in America, actually 80%, 80% of sterilizations were done in California of yeah. all the states in the wow. U.S. Wow. And by the time the whole program was done, by 1963, I believe is when it was finally abolished in California, over 20,000 Americans had been sterilized just in our state alone. Oh, my God. Right. And the idea that just you're sterilizing because someone is born to a lower economic class, mm-hmm. that again ties back into what we were talking about the last episode with this, I mean, yes, social Darwinism, of course, but also... Um, we were talking about the idea that goes back to the Middle Ages of the of the great chain of being, in that some people you are in this belief system that because you were born into whatever social status you're in, you were meant to be there uh, to begin with. So it's the same kind of thing that reinforces it that saying that that person will never ever rise above those social uh, barriers. Yeah, absolutely. And even beyond talking about your socioeconomic status, it really also comes to two specific laws that were specifically for women, which had to do with uh, women that were uh, dependent on certain drugs. Uh, This was actually basically used as a threat if you continue to do this. One of the possible punishments actually was sterilization. And uh, a second one as well uh, for promiscuity. There was also a lot of laws levied throughout California as well that, again, the threat's not going to necessarily be jail time. It's going to be you're going to be sterilized. And as we talked about in the last episode, the cons or the idea of promiscuity is obviously very skewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, writing flirt- flirtatious letters uh, is any any young person's right who's discovering what it means to to have feelings and have feelings of of sexuality. So you know, while we totally fine with that today, I mean, I, I think there's a lot worse things going on with you know sexting and things like that sure. happening these days but on a minor scale i mean this was just used as an excuse right? yeah well i mean yes and no to not to go on too much of a tangent here but to the under the social understanding of sexuality at this point in time was still heavily influenced from the ideas that were developed in the victorian era right and in the victorian era sex was something that was meant to be uh perverse it was to almost to be treated like as if it didn't exist it was a necessary evil basically uh, for the any idea of sexual activity for the sake of pleasure or for even for the sake of expressing love was was frowned upon or even um, forbidden in in this time period. And in fact, it was around this time period that you're talking, you're starting to see the study of sex happen. Like Alfred Kinsey, for example, asking the questions that people don't want to ask about sexual behavior. 
Yeah, but there's also a lot of of sex being discussed on the underground, right? On on not in, in public, not in play. Oh, of course, there was always going to be a counterculture, right? And it was oftentimes the men who were leading in that conversation. And that was totally okay and acceptable. You know, you got to understand that that from the development of agricultural communities forward, women's roles changed dramatically, and that shift away from their power that they had in pre-agricultural society, post-agricultural society. This is just one other further development along that chain. And even what it boils down to, and, and it's very poignant to point out that predominantly women are being sterilized in these situations. You know, I kind of mentioned it last time. It's This is a method of sexual control. It is actually much more invasive to do any sort of, um, you know, sterilization on women, to, to do tubal lit- uh, ligation or anything like that. It's so much more invasive and so much more intense to do that to a woman than it is to do towards a male. And so, you are far more likely, far more likely to suffer from complications and yeah. death thereof yeah. uh, as a result. Yeah. Um, and yet this is something that's still being talked about, still being debated. Still being to, done in parts to of To no end today. Not, not just, I'm not talking about forceful even necessarily. I'm still saying that women's reproductive rights are still a battleground every day. So, but going back, uh, we had the Supreme Court decision. We had a lot of stuff going on um, in the Americas about sterilization. But then there's this concept of euthanasia. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And let's let's dive into that a little bit more, because this wasn't um, something that was done heavily in the Americas. It transferred over to Europe um, and the and, you know, certain areas of Europe kind of took it and ran with it. Yeah, I mean, I think a great transition point is that in 1933, again, in California, we are unfortunately known for the most forced sterilizations of any of the state of the United States. And a lot of specifically California's laws are the ones that are going to form a strong foundation in Germany in 1934, where at that point, they're already actually doing 5,000 forced sterilizations per month in Germany oh in 34. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It's not just the eugenics laws of the Americas that really form the foundation. It's really the California-specific laws that are going to form that foundation. Yeah. Isn't that ironic, considering how, where California is now, too? California is kind of this leftist hub of the United States, and to think that this was going on. If we want to talk about where California is now, wait till we get into the part where we're talking about more modernity, because not much changed. Yeah. You'd be yeah. surprised. There, there's definitely going to be some really interesting things to share yeah. post at the end of the episode. Yeah. And you, you got to remember that with eugenics, both sides of the spectrum, both far left and far right, had their own takes on it and were running with it in different ways, both just as destructive as the other. Uh, and, and particularly when it comes to, to euthanasia, uh, as early as 1911, there were Carnegie Institute, there was an Art Carnegie Institute report uh, that was talking about this as a recommended solution. And that's, that's a word that should be very familiar to a lot of folks who are familiar with the Second World War as well. So we'll, we'll get back to that word solution later. Um, in that their idea was, let's cleanse society of those who are going to pass on um, potentially detrimental traits to others, to their children, right? And, and keep it in the gene pool. There's no point in even leave, leaving them around because if they're that bad, we should just kill them now. We're doing them a favor. Uh, this was the concept of a mercy killing. 
right? So we've already dehumanized them, right? We've already caged them up and, and thrown away thrown away the key, essentially. Now let's just forget about them altogether. Let's just move on and be happy and, and make tall, strong, fast people with blonde hair and blue eyes and what, what have you. Um, and there were lots of discussion about this. What was the most logical way to do this? And it was all very cold, very calculated. And, and the concept of the gas chamber was being talked about and proposed in the United States 30 years before it was ever put into effect in Nazi Germany. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and this was something that was openly being discussed in scientific communities and at notable universities by notable biologists and and, gen- and geneticists and, and what is now eugenicists, right? This whole new uh, concept and idea that all of a sudden thousands and thousands of classes, over 20,000 classes in the 1930s were being designed around eugenics for children, for you know students to take in, in major universities. So mm-hmm. this was becoming a part of the of the public consciousness. What wasn't being accepted was was the mass killing of people. That was something that, well, I think if it had been given an opportunity to actually happen, if it if it wasn't for Nazi Germany, I I honestly believe could have been rolled out in the United States. I think there would have been enough public support around eugenics, and I think it would have evolved to a point where that would have been accepted. I can't prove that, right? Obviously, there's no way to, to, to paint that history for us because it never happened. But when you think about some of the scary stuff that was going on, so you know, there's a mental institution in Lincoln, Illinois, that is, that is very well known for taking this into their own hands. And new inmates, and I'll use that term because they really were you know, locked away and treated, you know, pretty horrible conditions. Uh, they were given milk upon arrival that was intentionally infected with tuberculosis. Wow. With the goal of then further, you know, lacking in their support and care, uh, depleting their immune systems with the hope of them eventually dying. Uh, this institution had a 30 to 40% annual death rate. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Now this was obviously spoken about and, and discussed and decided but it wasn't the kind of thing where you advertised it, right? Of course not. Um, but, you know, neither were the Nazis. The Nazis weren't really advertising to the extreme lengths that they were going to to murder millions and millions of people, but it happened nonetheless. Um, and lethal neglect is another form of, of euthanasia in yeah. this sense. I mean, euthanasia is such a horrible word to even use with this. What it is is murder. You know, euthanasia is a mercy killing. And it's usually at the at the bequest of the individual who is suffering, who is in pain. These people were not able to to make that decision. I don't think they ever would decide to to do that if you know if they were given the opportunity. That's that's just not the case here. Um, and these these mer- these like mercy killings by the 1930s, they were they were becoming more and more consciously aware. Right? I mean, there were films and newspapers and uh, you know. You know, lectures all about this and talking about it and talking about being a good thing, encouraging people to unburden themselves with these individuals in their lives and take them to these institutions. And many of them, many of these families, I think, you know, made that decision knowing very well that those family members would not come back to them. And they may have, have not have wanted them to come back. They were, I mean, at that, this point, anybody who had that, if you're talking about you know, euth- euthanization, euth- sorry, uh, euth- is that the right word? euthanization for um for those who were mentally ill or for those who had for what they conceived of as mental illness at this point in time that was shame on the family right so letting that uh you know just kind of go into a dark corner and never be heard of again was was the the easiest solution to 
that problem. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it should also be noted at this point in time where we are now, what we're talking about in the 30s, it's now gone beyond feeble-mindedness and um, mental uh, disorders. It's actually now people who wear glasses, who have actually eye disorders. People, There's actually a test now where you have to bend over and stretch your arms in a certain way, and if you can't even do that to a certain degree, you're also actually going to be considered in this abnormal range where you can actually be sterilized if not euthanized. Wow. Um, so some of the most disturbing stuff really comes from early American attitude towards the rise of national socialism in Germany. Because this idea that Hitler was the bad guy was not very widely accepted initially in America. In fact, it was the exact opposite. When Hitler came to power, he did so, yes, by force, but he also did so legally, right? So he maneuvered himself into a way where you know, he was in the, the minds, the hearts of the German people. And no matter what was going to happen, he was going to take power. He was very, you know, tra- you know, translucent about this. He 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 told the people that we've seized power. Translucent, transparent. Uh, he was semi-translucent. Very little, <laughs> little known fact about uh, Hitler. Hitler um, was actually a ghost. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's common misconception. He was one tenth uh, glass vase. Oh. Yeah. On his mother's <laughs> side. Uh, it's it. it it That's was such also a Python thing. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, <laughs> it really was. It was it was overlooked when they were putting together his pedigree pedigree as well. Yes. Yeah, so. oh. Um sorry, yes. Transparent. Okay. Very, very transparent in that once they seized power, the Nazis weren't going to be giving it up. Right? Uh and to many Americans who are who are coming out of the Depression, that was actually a pretty exciting attitude, you know? Here's this Hitler guy. He's gone into Germany. He's turned this horribly depleted country into this superpower now uh, that is changing the way we, we see the rest of the world. And um, with that, mutual respect also kind of went the other way, right? So now Hitler's looking to America and saying, well, here's all the inspiration that I want to use to build a new Germany. What else are they doing that I think is great? Oh, well... If you've read my book, Mein Kampf, you know that I absolutely despise anyone who's not part of this ideal Nordic Aryan race, which doesn't really exist, but it does in my mind. And therefore, I'm going to build the entire Nazi ideology around it. And and it's going to be the basis of my policies for the rest of my life. And he actually, he he spoke to eugenics in Mein Kampf, right? He did. Yeah. He spoke to it and, and to its founders and to the founders of racial purity and the concept around German racial purity. Um... And we'll, we'll get to, to that in a moment. But uh, you've all heard of Josef Mengele. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the Nazi doctor mm-hmm. who conducted horrible, horrible experiments uh, and went more or less unpunished for his crimes throughout most of his life. It wasn't just him. There were several doctors that were just doing horrible, horrible oh, things. There, there were many. Calling it science to rub broken glass into somebody's mm-hmm. injuries. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you've heard of the Rockefeller Foundation? Yeah. Uh, they helped fund various uh, German eugenics programs. Uh, that would, would, including ones that would be run by Joseph Mengele. Mm-hmm. So they were directly funding and, and channeling Rockefeller money. Rockefeller was also funding um, eugenics programs in, in Brazil, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a prominent Republican family for many years. And not to, not again, n- no judgments on political bias, but it is a fact that the Rockefeller family was were prominent, moderate Republicans uh in this part of American history. Yeah, so. you can call them moderate, though. Like, eugenics was enough to be moderate yeah. in, mm-hmm. in America. Uh, in, in addition to that, you also have the legalization of a lot of these sterilization programs in the United States inspiring the legalization of, of racial profiling and laws in, in Germany, like the Nuremberg Laws, which stripped the you know German Jews of all of their rights and essentially made them non-people. They existed in the country, 
but you could do whatever you wanted with them at this point. And it was completely legal to do that. And it also stripped people like homosexuals of their rights uh, and those who were considered to be deficient, right? Those who were unfit. And the Germans, to your point, like, you know, the mass sterilizations that were going on, Matt, you know, the point that you made yeah. before, uh, there was now also this desire to, to experiment with euthanasia, to see how far they could get away with. And Hitler was in, you know, direct knowledge of this. Uh, and, you know, an interesting little factoid, an interesting result of the Nuremberg Laws, any Jewish doctors were immediately stripped of their license and for forbidden to perform any kind of practice, right? So what happens? Uh, there's about a 30 to 40% availability in jobs for Germans who now are heavily indoctrinated in Nazi ideology, who are now going to state-run and sponsored schools, who are being taught by the doctors who are remaining, who are obviously all signing up now to become members of the Nazi party if they want to work in a hospital that's run by the state, which by the end of the war, most of them were. So you, you have this perfect storm now. Now you have this influence of young, energetic influential scientifically supposedly scientifically minded people who also have this ethical barrier that's now broken down and they are seeing people as non-people yeah yeah and that is the breeding ground for people like Mengele and for the um, for these horrible things that we committed in germany i think it's uh, worth noting that albert einstein even though he was not a medical doctor uh, his original scientific workings were disregarded for the same reason because he, because he was because he was a jew yeah and it was only when he came to the united states that his uh his work in nuclear physics and relativity uh was actually starting to gain traction right again small tangent but another example of this disregarding yeah. of of people's contributions so a couple other notable individuals like Ernst Rudin and Alfred uh, Plotz, uh, excuse me, they were essentially the fathers of this whole concept of the Aryan race and racial purity, and the biggest proponents of euthanasia and and forced sterilization. Uh, and they were the ones who who were appointed and awarded and and you know paraded through the streets. I mean they were they were treated with great respect within uh, the the Nazi Party. Uh, they were the ones who were on these committees who would create these organizations of doctors who would go and take people who have been reported as being uh, potentially genetically unfit, right? And they would call them before a review board. And at that point, they would decide if they needed to be sterilized or not. And there's no legal involvement in this, right? These are all doctors who are deciding this. These are all Nazi doctors who are deciding this. And I'm recanted of a story of a young man. He was 16 years old. He suffered from a, a physical deformity of, of both his right and left hand. Uh, and no one else in his family had ever been born with the same deformity. Uh, nobody has ever since. And it's now been proven that it is not a genetic condition. It was a random mutation. And he just so happened to be the, the one in his family who suffered from it. He was brought before this very review board as a 16-year-old boy, and despite the pleas of his of his family, was forcefully sterilized. Wow! And you know that's that's somebody who got off lucky. You know he got off with his life. There were many others who were not so fortunate, because once you once you've now created a system that's that efficient, and you have a desire to commit genocide, all you need is someone to pull the trigger. Um, Action T4, which is essentially a it's a, it's a, it's the post-war designation for what the the euthanasia program in Germany was all about, um, was operated pretty much from the the start of the war straight through into 1941 and 
during that time, about 70,000 people were murdered. Uh, this is the first time they were actually testing what would later become the gas chambers. And uh, what they were doing is they were going to these mental institutions and they were taking these individuals and they were putting them into trucks, which they then later pumped around the carbon monoxide that was being brought out of the trucks back inside and suffocated them all. Uh, and, and this was considered to be a success. This was something where after, after T4, they're like, great, where do we go next? Because here's the biggest problem with this. It's a huge mental burden on the soldiers that were sending in from the SS to perform this. That was the justification. Let's worry about the mental stress on these soldiers who are, you know, murdering. And to be fair, following orders, they've obviously drank the Kool-Aid, but still, like, this whole thing thing is a a mess. This whole thing is a cluster. Yeah, and in a situation where you're stuffed with, well, if they don't do it, if I don't do it, I'm also disobeying orders, and I'm going to get killed, too. It's like kill or be killed. So keep in mind, that's 70,000. There's a lot of really messed up nuance oh sure into having that much control over people and, and convincing them to kill like that Th- that 70,000 number was just the number that the Nazis kept a good record of it's believed that as a result direct result of T4 another 200,000 died as a result of other policies that were put into place in conjunction and shortly thereafter this. Wow. Yeah, and, and one little fact I think that should also be noted, since we are talking about gas chambers uh, specifically, is that the United States was the first nation to actually use one to execute someone. And that was actually in the 1920s in Nevada. Uh, so it it is not a German invention nope. at all, or a Nazi invention specifically. Um, but where the Nazis took it to the next level is because they, they realized that what they were doing is they were doing this in towns mm-hmm. and cities where these sanitariums were located. And they had these massive crematoria that were there and they were burning these bodies. And the local residents were getting upset because consistent ash and hair and other bits of human being were falling on them. And so they decided, you know, if we're going to be doing this, we should probably do it in more remote, remote locations. Well, if we're going to do that, then we should probably be housing these people at those locations as well. Let's build concentration camps. They've worked really well for political prisoners and prisoners of war so far. Let's turn them into death camps. Who else do we really want to kill? Well, we've got all these Jews, and we've been kind of like holding them up in large ghettos. And that's creating the same problem because they're still you know, relatively close to cities. Let's ship them out there and, and create the final solution to the Jewish, quest- Jewish question. We know it works really well with everyone else. And the Jews are just as much degenerate. This is what they're saying, of course. So let's just go and, and kill them all. And, and 11 million it, people dead later. And while we're at it, gypsies, homosexuals, mentally disabled. Yeah. And, and, keep, and keep in mind, they, they advanced it even more. It wasn't just carbon monoxide at this point. It's Cyclone B. Yeah, exactly. Which was a pesticide, and you died a terrible, terrible Horrible death. death in that. You were burning from the inside. Yeah. And suffocating at the same time. And you were doing it cram-packed in these efficient death machines that then had chutes that would bring the bodies down to the crematoria and it was it was these these architects of murder who were designing these incredible machines that to kill mm-hmm. an enormity you of know, 20 million people you know more than half of them jews i mean it blows the mind it really does and where does it start it starts with the concept that these people are not as good as other people and that we should make better people and you know it's worth mentioning that the germans they're propaganda films. If you watch any of them, just for the sake of, of understanding this history, they're absolutely disgusting. 
I mean, they're they're committing abuse and they're putting it on film and they're trying to scare you. You know, there were these posters that would go out and around and they would have somebody who was who was disabled on there with a doctor nearby looking very concerned. And they would read things like this person is suffering from a hereditary defect. It costs your community 60,000 Reich marks during his lifetime. Fellow Germans, this is your money, too. So they're they're turning people against them in, in this post, you know, um, uh uh, depression economy in, in Germany, which you know one of the hardest hit countries in the entire world to, from the depression, and and they're just they're villainizing these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean I think another thing at that time period, it's hard to believe as well. Even if you were quote unquote Aryan, that doesn't mean that your child that you're about to have is safe at all. Yeah. In fact, it actually was a propaganda film at that time where it talked about how doctors went after birth would actually you know look at the baby and they would actually make a judgment right then and there. And so they actually have this one film, it's terrible to watch, um, that basically has a very, you know, premature baby, essentially, that is born on this table, and it says it's not worth operating to, to save this life. And you just see this mother weeping, even though she's an Aryan mother. It's just crazy. So it wasn't just um, the Jews or other people that are unfit, but even Aryans themselves, their children also, at the moment of birth, no chance at all, will be passed judgment upon by the doctor. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, pretty pretty frightening picture to paint. And look how easily it happened, because that's the scariest part. You know, you went from the legal legalization to to these horrible atrocities in 10 years. It's all it took. And the right circumstances, too. Yeah, it was, it was the, it, absolutely, that plays a part in it. But those right circumstances could have easily happened in America. Sure. You know, absolutely. it, it could have easily set that stage. Yeah. Um, and there was enough support for these concepts and support for the freaking Nazis in the United States. Well, yeah, I mean, we were isolationists for well, so long for a reason. Eric, and I, you and I were talking about months ago this idea of a what-if situation, Yeah. right? Because a lot of people don't remember that when FDR was running for re-election, one of his people who was running against him was, we talked about, was Charles Lindbergh. Yeah. Right, the famous pilot. Who and was also a famous supporter of the Nazis. And a very famous, far, far right-wing individual and it's kind of a scary of a thought if he had become president you know we Lim- may have seen these kind of things oh yeah happen mm-hmm. you know you would you would have had an american nazi duplicate very likely and i think a lot of people would have gone along with it because they would have seen the positive light of nazi germany and they would have seen it as being this powerful industrialized nation that came out of nothing into something uh and you know, if that had happened early enough, I could even see Hitler delaying his plans to invade Poland and building up a stronger army, knowing, knowing that he would have an American ally as strong as it was, uh, and pressuring England to join in on similar policies, because there were also a lot of fascist support in, in England as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not to go too much off on a tangent, but for our Star Trek fans that are out there, uh, for those Mirror Universe episodes, those That's are exactly based... what happened. That those, those are based with Germany actually winning World War II and actually successfully invading the United States and taking over. So, you know, where you get that um, Heil that you see in the original episode with Kirk and just the way that um, the whole Mirror Universe is really turned on its head, and it really is... World War II all over again, and it's talking about how the Terrans are the prime species, and everyone else should be underneath them. Uh, that's really sort it's, of it's space Nazis, is what it, it is. It's space Nazis. Yeah, it's space Nazis. Yeah. It, it just I find this just so fascinating in the fact that the concept of eugenics has gone so far back mm-hmm. and was theoretically so well intentioned 
But the the funny thing is, again, it always just comes back to if you are really, truly looking to control a population's traits, you are valuing one person as better than another. Yeah. Yeah. And and it like I don't care how many times I repeat that, but it keeps coming back to that. And it's. It's just such and I think even a, the ancient Greeks would have said, yeah, that's the concept. Point. Yeah. You know, and, and Hitler, you know, he, he ended up actually writing a second book that was never published during wartime, but they have the manuscripts of it. And he, he cites Sparta as his inspiration for a lot of yeah. Nazi ideology as well. And that, you know, those who were weak were disposed of. And whether that is a bit of um, mythology, mythology mixed with reality, there's certainly some yeah. sort of inspiration behind it. And we do know that in particular in Sparta, it was a pretty harsh place. So, you know... It, it makes sense that even early on, there was still that, well, duh, that's the whole point. We want our people to be better than everybody else. But is that what it is today? Because we, we've obviously yeah. seen how evil the concept of eugenics can be taken, how far it can be taken, and the implications that it has on on the world. But what about after the Second World well, War? Let's Let's talk about, I, I want to talk about this real quick, just within a context of homosexuality, okay? England, for a very long time in the UK, it was illegal to be a homosexual. It is what screwed over Oscar Wilde's life. <laughs> it's what basically forced Alan Turing to, to kill himself, among many other reasons. The guy who freaking invented computers effectively our, our modern concept of, com of computers what and you guys can go see the imitation game is really awesome um but you know he was convicted of being a homosexual and was um chemically castrated for a year and meaning he was um, on hormone treatment that completely ruined his libido and it was to keep him from engaging in sexual acts um, and it really does cause a lot of permanent damage, even if you are doing it for a year, you know, um, and then a year after that, he killed himself. And that didn't go away. That law didn't go away until the 70s. And he wasn't even fully pardoned until recently, like I think in 2010. Um, so this is it, it's this is very close. It's not it's not that far away. And we're at a point right now where. We have such vast technology and such a, uh, and every day we're getting a stronger and stronger understanding of genetics and the human genome. And we're kind of at the, at the point of having an ethical debate right now. There are people who are trying to, um, you know, consider, do we want to, is there a single genetic marker that denotes somebody as a homosexual? What happens if we find whatever genetic marker that makes somebody a homosexual? What happens when we find that? Because now people can do genetic screening of their unborn children. Do those people decide that they want to keep the child or not? There's a huge ethical yeah. debate there. Mm -hmm. There's, if we look, okay, 1997 movie Gattaca. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, sure. This is a really great reference for the possibilities of technology and, and eugenics because people can look at their genetic code and look at their mixtures of baby and pick pick and choose what they want you know and and mm -hmm. who are we to decide that is is a big question and should we decide it should we not are we limiting the gene pool are we expanding it 
Um, I mean, even when it comes down to um, certain uh, hereditary diseases, okay, I, um, my older, my mom's older sister uh, was diagnosed with CF and she died when she was six. My grandparents were very young. We didn't have a, at the time, they didn't have a very strong understanding. And just to clarify for our listeners who don't yeah. know what. Oh, sorry. C- cystic for. fibrosis. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, I, it's so common in my family just to talk about it. CF, CF. Um, but anyway, so uh, she passed away when she, went, when she was six years old. My um, grandparents had her when they were very young. And they had two kids after that because nobody told them it was yeah. a genetic disease. Mm-hmm. And so by the time that my grandmother was pregnant with my uncle, they were like, oh, are you going to keep having kids knowing that you have this genetic disorder in your family? They're like, what? It's genetic? And after that, my grandmother was the first person on her block to go on the pill. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, but the point of this is that it's a choice. Okay? These things are a choice. And it's there's such a huge responsibility on each individual that, you know, the the ethics here come into question. Do we make it a government thing? Do you make it a state thing? Do you make an individual choice? There is such a huge conversation around this. We're all biting at the, at the chomp oh, I know. right now. Yeah, I can we'll see comment this. On this. Uh, I just want to throw out an interesting factoid, and then, Brian, I'll let you, I'll let you say something real quick here. But uh, you mentioned about, you know, homosexuality mm-hmm. being illegal in the United Kingdom just as recently as it was. There are still 78 countries in the world where homosexuality is illegal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. S- some of them punishable by death. So it's it's still very much that that mindset is still there. And it, it, to your point, it really makes I mean, we need to answer this question now, because even though we're not where Gattaca was in the movie. Yeah. You know, testing for genetic abnormalities is actually a very dangerous procedure currently because you have to test amniotic fluid in order to be able to find that information and there is a potential hazard to the baby during that process correct so it's not as simple as pricking your finger and reading the blood like it is in gattaca right but that's not to say that we're not going to get to that point you know perhaps even soon so we need to be having these conversations now we need to answer these questions to the best of our ability now yeah Yeah. and i mean i think the the underlying question is when people were talking before about social darwinism about racial hygiene about eugenics the question that conceivably was always going to come up with genetic engineering whether it's best of intentions or not is certain forms of genetic engineering a backdoor way of doing eugenics again yeah yeah Yeah. and yeah um I, i think to answer the question to comment on the homosexuality piece of it um yeah i also wanted to comment that in the united states it homosexual intercourse wasn't officially declared illegal until 2000 in the legal supreme legal. Court. what sorry it wasn't declared illegal sorry uh in the until the supreme court case of lawrence versus texas yeah and that was a case of, of, a, of a homosexual couple who were having intercourse in their home in their own minding their you know in the privacy of their own home but the neighbors heard it and they called the police saying there was domestic dispute. So the police came and, and basically arrested them because they caught them in the act. Um, it ended up being struck down on a case of one, right to privacy and two consenting adults. And so that's what essentially kind right. of ended that debate in the United States. I also think it's worth noting that the progress that's may have been made since that 36 states now allow same sex marriage in the United yeah. States. England now allows civil unions and same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. A number of countries in Europe allow for it. Hey, we may have a Supreme Court ruling before long, which is essentially going right. to legalize it nationwide. Know, gay marriage every, con- every state. I mean, yeah. why not? 
at this point. I mean, well, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get in a debate about that right now, but I'm saying if it's already majority of the states, of the then let's yeah. Yeah. you know just do it. I don't know. And well, I mean, I, the reason why I bring it up is because the social attitude, the social, the cultural yeah. bias now is now in favor of homosexuality right. for the most part. So I don't know. Again, if, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. kind of been a recurring theme here for yeah. a while. Well, yeah, that that it all comes down to cultural bias is determining what we're doing. But then there's here's another concept I'm just going to kind of throw out there to you guys. Uh, overpopulation. Yeah, I mean, there is an actual overpopulation issue on this planet. That's there has been for some time. You know, does that make and again, not answering these questions, not looking for answers on these questions This is not for this podcast. But, you know, is China's one population? Block, yeah. yeah, population control plan where. It's only one child per family. You know, is that ethical? Though it's ethical if the first child is a girl. It, you can have a second child if the first child's a girl. Right, but I think there's a bigger ethical question in even just having the law itself and putting that on your people. Yeah, or that if you get pregnant without the, the authorization of the government, uh, you are forcibly, the child is, uh, without your choice, the child is aborted and that person and both people are sterilized. Yeah, that actually does still happen for sterilization does still happen um and and that's the thing so this is you know there's there's a lot of because to a certain to a certain extent for some people forms of birth control forms of abortion etc um are considered uh types of uh, eugenic planning um but there should be a choice involved and i think that's your point right I, you, you, that, okay. People should be able to make my, their own choices. My personal point, yes, people should make their own choices. Yeah. <laughs> but that is a thing for debate, right? There are some people who don't feel that way. So that's okay. And everybody's entitled to their own opinion. And this is not a debate forum. So It's not, but it is a history podcast. Yes. And we have seen from history yeah. that people who are not allowed to make their own choices oftentimes end up being abused. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of people who weren't able to make their own choices, yeah. uh, recently in California, yes. talking... You know, up even up until 2010, 2011, uh, there were actually 144 female inmates uh, that were in prison that were sterilized forcibly. Yes. Uh, there's some debate. Without their knowledge. That's their exactly. Knowledge. And that's without yeah. their knowledge. Uh, and that, I mean, that's only a couple years ago, folks. Yeah. And, they, and they, it happened. It happened twice. Mm -hmm. Twice. It happened first um, in, I think, 2007, 2009. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, happened right. again in like 2010 to 2012 in California prisons. And why? simply because these children were going to see be seen as burdens on society mm -hmm. so these women were forcibly sterilized so they wouldn't get pregnant right. and keep in mind that these cause a burden right and these decisions were actually made by the prison not yeah. not not a court not the state, by the prison by the prison yeah uh you know in the 1970s and this is something i i, I probably should have brought up earlier but i want to talk about it because it's important uh it started to come to light that a lot of you know uh, financially un unwell, non-white uh, women who were having children and who were on welfare were being forcefully sterilized against their will. And some of them were being made to be sterilized or else their their welfare was going to be cut off. Yeah. The way that the support of their families were going to be cut off. Well, and, the, and that's, that's not uncommon. I think that's still popular in other countries too where they will still do that. I think um, somewhere in the Ukraine... Yes. Uh, they were uh, forced. They were forcibly sterilizing women without their knowledge. Doctors had a quota. It was completely random, and so they said. And a lot of people, like doctors, were f like forging consent. And there was it was like a whole weird state-run conspiracy. But you know, in the United States, like it was it was very much 
strategic, yeah. right? They were targeting people. Yeah. Uh, not not a single middle class white person was ever, you know, recorded of the same type of abuse, right. regardless of how many children they had or whether or not they were on welfare. It made no difference. The difference was that these people were non-white and, yeah. and they were targeting particularly black communities in the South and also Native American communities. So, and, and again, to your point, again, like you were saying, a lot of these women didn't even know what was happening. They thought they were going in for different procedures and coming out without the ability to, yeah. to decide to have more children if they so wished. I said it last podcast. I'm going to say it again. Beep is coming. This is so f***ed up. Yeah. 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 Ha! But I think it was important for us to have these episodes. Yeah. It was important for us to, to talk about this because... As we've seen, it's really easy to, to brush over the really bad parts of history and want to forget about them and want to move on from them. But you have to learn from them yeah. before you can move on and you can never, ever forget. And for God's sakes, keep debating. Keep yeah. Yeah. reassessing the philosophy, the ethics. Because we're not done everything yet. Everything behind this. Because as technology changes, yeah. what is presented in front of us we have new evidence all the time. Yeah. And I think the most important part of what we've talked about is that there is a distinct difference between thought versus practice. Yeah. These are a lot of the ideas that are easy and even popular to think about when you're talking about them intellectually on paper. But when you actually put them into action, the impact it has is on other human beings. And that is much harder to live with than to say that you have a thought that maybe is wrong. You can correct the thought that's wrong. You can't correct an action when that in fact uh, that has a permanent impact on human life once it's yeah. been done. You know? Yeah, it just really comes down to just like Brian was saying is having intellectual debate about these topics and about eugenics and about genetic engineering and the future that it might be coming very quickly for all of us. The way that technology is impacting us, will we have a Gattaca future? I mean, you have things like Twenty Three and Me a couple years ago actually patenting a way that you can choose the hair and eye color of your child. Uh, to other things like the Savior Sibling where you actually, if you have a child that has a certain disease, um, basically the remedy is that the doctor will recommend that you have an additional child where they actually basically vet your zygotes, and that's going to be a perfect match for that other child. So when that child does need uh, stem cells and tissue, that's basically what this other child is being born for. Or even organ transplants. There's there, but that's a yes. that's a topic for another day, folks. I swear to God, I am flashing back right now to my, like I think it was my my seventh... sister's keeper is a movie. Oh, I thought you were going with a movie. My sister's keeper is a movie that that deals directly with that. Absolutely, and it's absolutely heart wrenching, and you will cry. Yeah. No, I was thinking back to my seventh grade science class where I had a teacher. This was like we were talking about cloning mm -hmm. or whatever, and he was like. If cloning technology, and he was kind of joking, like, you know, kind of, again, just food for thought type thing. He's like, if cloning actually happens, I'm going to keep my clone healthy and constantly running on a <laughs> treadmill. And I can just, like, be a lazy piece of crap and just farm that clone when I'm ready. I mean, that's Michael Bay's island? island. Oh, Yes! Oh <laughs> I love right, that movie. Exactly. There you go. I love exactly. that movie. And it has Ethan Phillips in it, which of yeah. course played Neelix in Star Trek Voyager. So uh, just, yes. That was yeah. I think you're the only two people on this planet that love that movie. I don't like even think movie? I saw that movie. It's a Michael Bay film, dude. I know. And it's That's one of the Ewan McGregor in it, though, right? It's the, yeah. It it's the <laughs> only <laughs> Michael Bay movie I will watch. It's one of the only Ewan McGregor movies I haven't seen. This is not under its own film episode. I do recognize that. But, but it was good. I liked it. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson. But again, awesome uh, if you are keeping track both Gattaca... 
Star Trek Wrath of Khan. Yeah. And uh, now the island, good research for you to look yes. at afterwards. Yeah, yeah sure. Yes. Yeah. So, listeners, I promise that our next few episodes will be significantly happier. Yes. They will involve additional humor. They will involve lighter topics. Thank I, you for dealing with we us. May even, we may even ones. bring aboard a whoopee cushion. Yeah, we might, we might do that. I um, mean, no joke, when you were talking about some of the Holocaust stuff, I was quiet for a very long time because I was kind of holding it back. Like, I was, like, about to just want to pause for a second because that was really hard to listen to. And quite honestly, I, I spared you and the listeners I know so much. I know. Yeah, because it's the kind of thing that you have to experience on your own. And this is, this is stuff that... You know, it gets talked about so much. I mean, there's a reason why Hitler is now the, to the point of being cartoonish villain that he is. And there's a reason why we talk about this stuff. There's a reason why eugenics is important enough to be a topic. And again, don't take our word for it. There's so much that's on out there on the subject. And there's a lot for you to read up on your own. And there's a lot for you to, to enlighten yourself with because... Um, sometimes you have to dig a little deeper to find some of the stuff that was going on here in the United States, but, uh, it's out there and it's worth, it's worth educating yourself on. And if you dig deep enough, you might even be able to find a couple of obscure websites out there that are still pro eugenics too. So, uh, no, they absolutely are out there. I know there's, I know there are organizations that are speaking to anti-overpopulation, but they don't go so as, as go so far as forced sterilization and euthanasia. Yeah, right? there's definitely some aspects of eugenics which are, you know, masked or disguised into new forms these days. Right. So, and it's very important because again, what we words are all we really have. I feel like, and so not using the label can be very disingenuous. Yeah. Uh, when you're speaking about what exactly what it is, so let's get into some feedback, huh? This week in listener feedback. Yay. Sounds good. Before <laughs> I have to go on antidepressants. It's like it's like finding out your dog just died and asking, "Do you guys want to get some ice cream?" Okay. Yeah, right. can I have a soda? Can't have a soda. Can't have diet soda. That's too much sugar, Eric. Damn it! You can only have non-caffeinated sodas. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, we have a we have an email from Monique. Uh, she writes: "Use of language, presidents, and history." Uh, saw this and thought of you guys. She sent us to a, a link to the article on in the Atlantic, um, and it's talking about the language of the State of the Union. This was obviously just from like last. Yeah. Week. Oh, that was so much fun! I loved that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, it was great. What a shock. <laughs> <laughs> Jargon about the, uh, and particularly George W. Bush uh, talked more about women and than anyone else apparently, and which I, have I no found idea really why. shocking. Yeah. Right. Shocking. <laughs> So um, thank I think you. he was watching reruns of Baywatch, like while he was writing it, probably. <laughs> really, Baywatch? I th- reruns. I think he's a Golden Girls guy. I really think so. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Thank you for hazard. being a friend. Oh, <laughs> 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 that, oh, that rose, <laughs> that plant. I mean, now that he's doing like paintings and stuff like that in his free time, I bet he's like painting B. Arthur oh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Um, do you want to read the last one? All right. Well, this one is from Samuel. Subject, love the show. Uh, Hello once again, nerds. I've been rabidly listening to the last few episodes of NOF and NOH. 
due to a brief hiatus forced upon me. And all I can say is, wow, you guys are doing such a great job. And I was thoroughly impressed with the show upon my return to the prod to the podcast. Particular compliment to NH co-host Sarah Ashley for bringing lots of great energy to the podcast. Woo! Thank you. Yeah. Very, very much. I appreciate that. Uh, one request I have is that an episode. Oh, I think this is for um, NOF. But I'll read it anyway. Uh, Roman request is I have an episode be made about Sweeney Todd. Mm. It's one of my guilty pleasure movies. Um, that'll be something to consider. Talking about Broadway to movie. Hey, you know, any chance for me to talk about musicals? I know. Well, hey, you I could know. do a musical episode as a musical. That is Sean's worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> however, Brian and I would be totally down. <laughs> I'm like, any chance for us to sing? Okay. Hey, hey you're missing, the most, the, you're missing the most important part of this email, though. Best pies in London. <laughs> uh, he wanted to end it with Daftba. Oh, yeah, I missed that part. Don't forget to be awesome. That's cute. And you know what, Sam? I put a reminder in my phone every day. To don't forget to be awesome. To Daftba. Um, 9 a.m. every day. 9 a.m. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Twice on Sundays. I'm gonna I'm gonna write it on my mirror, so oh. I can have a daily mantra. Just make sure you write it backwards so you can read it. <laughs> no, I don't need to do that. Yeah, I know that was a joke. That doesn't make any sense. I know. If I wanted to paint it on the wall behind Wait, me. Wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. I meant to say write it backwards so I can read it. Oh. oh. Yeah. There right. We go. Right. If I I also suffer from dyslexia of the brain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, indeed. Great. Um. Okay. So. Backwards speak to I. <laughs> Real quick, once again, I did want to give a shout out to Lost Woods, a really super fun game. Uh, you are campers, you are staying in the woods, you get lost, and as you are playing the game, you are building up the board, you're finding treasure, you are fighting monsters. It's super duper fun. And folks, spring and summer is just around the corner. There's plenty of opportunity for you to go out and be lost in the woods as well. And yeah. if you are, what better way to pass the time for Search and Rescue than to actually have this game and playing it? I mean, it is perfect. It is perfect. You fight squirrels in the game. Oh, yeah. wow. And you will probably be fighting actual squirrels who will be trying to steal your game pieces. Exactly. So it's an immersive world. It's super fun. And you guys can sponsor this game through Kickstarter. Um, and if you just go to Kickstarter, search for Lost Woods. It is really cool. I know that my friend Jill and Brian would absolutely appreciate your support. I would appreciate your support because, frankly, I want to play this game and I need it to be real. Okay? I've only yeah. played a trial and it needs to be for realsies. So Kickstarter, Lost Woods. If you support board games, you got to support this one. I have something I would like to say. Okay. On my upcoming paternity leave, of which I will be doing again because I'm having another baby, my hope is to try to find some time to finish my own board game. I am working on a board game. Based on? Egypt! Of course. What? <laughs> I've only heard whispers of said game well he's made I've, a couple this is the first this is the, this is the first content. one i like enough to actually finish okay oh, it's pretty good i've never right. i've like seen the box and pieces but i haven't like played when are we gonna do like a trial of your game uh that's my goal is while i am on leave sometime in the spring to to finally have a playable demo take it to game night and i'm going to take it to our friend jeremy commander's game night he's been uh, on this episode he's been or on, on this uh, episode been on the show yeah Wait, yeah. yeah what can i go i want to play of course you can yeah, come you can it's open to everybody yeah. can i have some nerds on gaming yeah that's actually been talking yeah, jeremy actually jeremy and our pal richard actually they have a gaming podcast now oh they that's really? great they do yeah they richard do. new uh, one richard of our new. other uh, you know we have uh, another cousin co-host. podcast uh in a way, they don't talk about us at all. But, oh. Um, oh. 
Then let's not talk about well, them. Well, then don't Cut listen to them. There should be a crossover. <laughs> How dare they? Cut this out. I, I am offended. Talk about Good day, sir. <laughs> no, but we have actually invited Jeremy on uh, a couple times to talk about history behind board gaming. Now, that would be a fun topic. Why don't they talk topic. about us? What? Why don't they talk about us? We'll ask that to Jeremy when he <laughs> maybe joins us for a future Put him in the hot seat. Yeah. Okay. Coming to Kickstarter in March, Nerds on History, the board game. Oh. We've actually thought about that. Oh, yes. yeah. It involves a lot of research. Uh, a lot of debate about what funny things we should say before we record them, uh, and then um, and then you know technical what, difficulties. It <laughs> should it should be something that is like a website interactive based game. Can you know, you know how you could do like Trivial Pursuit on? Mm. on oh, that's right? cool! Every because time you way, tap on Sarah, she burps. Yeah, so really I, I'm on board as long as you have avatars of each of you, and you can choose which one to play as. Right, right. But the thing is, is the, the point is, is that way you can constantly keep the questions and the answers everything changing yeah so you don't because yeah. you know how like people stop playing trivial pursuit because they know all the answers but you know what we need to do that nerds we need money to be able to do that <laughs> yeah so see how uh, many ideas we have yeah we have the makings of an empire that we cannot implement because we are all broke so uh here's how you can help support uh the word of nerd you can go to our website nerdonomy.com and do a couple different things. One, buy a t-shirt made in the USA. American Apparel looks nice as well. Uh, you can support us through our affiliates, through Audible and Amazon. Uh, Audible, you can do very easily going to audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy. Or you can click on the Audible link on the right side of our page. And Amazon, just go to our posts that mention products and click on the link through there. Or you can just honestly just give us a straight up, you know, donation. Money. money. Give us money. money. You can even pledge a monthly amount as a couple of our listeners have done. Uh, so you have all those options to help support us. And we honestly, you know, we could we could use it. We really could. Right now we've got enough to, to keep us afloat for a little bit, but that won't be there forever. And I'm going to say it until I'm as blue as a bullion. Go out there and spread the word of nerd. Tell people about Nerdonomy. Tell them about Nerds on History. Tell them about Nerds on Film. Tell them about all the amazing episodes that we've been doing for the past two years. We have so much for them to catch up on and fall in love with. And uh, just just please, just maybe do a review in iTunes. Just repost our episodes when they go up. Even that is helpful. Yeah. Here, here. Yep. And there, there. Do we cool. get a huzzah? Huzzah. Huzzah. Yeah, huzzah. Yeah, huzzah, yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yes. Go back and listen to our we Christmas just, Carol Did we just try to out-British one another? I think so. <laughs> uh, interesting. I still think I won, though. Uh, of course, I think we can all unanimously agree that these past two episodes would not be what they were if it was not for our friend, Matt Lussier, for coming on the show, supporting us with his great knowledge and insight. Uh, and I would like to formally invite you to come back anytime you want. If you want to come back on the show, just shoot us an email. Come on back. Yeah, awesome. come on back. Suggest a topic. That's even better. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate and that. And then do all of our research for us and email them out in concise notes. Yeah. Uh, and then take the lead and pretty much do all the work for us. That's not a problem. <laughs> and I just thank you so much and good night and good luck, nerds. I like it. Oh, he went Murrow on us. That's I awesome. Like that. I love that. Well, shit, I can't do my closing now. <laughs> same your time, same your channel. Bye. No, no. It is that time, nerds. So until we meet again, stay nerdy. So tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Bye-bye. Kissa!
It is very cold in this recording studio. And in space. Oh my god. Okay, that's it, guys. I'm so sorry. Eric, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. I love you, buddy. <sighs> are, are you you now? He better be. I bet my iPad hitting him in the head. Welcome to Fantasy Island. Oh, crap. <gasps> de plane, de plane. Oh, shit.